Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. is up wizards fans welcome to another believe in wizards podcast i'm your host matt moderno got a great episode for you here today it is our 150th episode of the believe in wizards podcast so kudos to us for making it this far and, and kudos to you all for still listening 150 episodes in that's just awesome i don't know that i had any expectation of that when we started the podcast and this is just uh it's been really great on today's episode i'm actually going to be joined by chase hughes of nbc sports washington I mentioned in a previous episode that Kevin Folly of Wizards Film Room is going to join us today. We're actually going to work through some schedule stuff there and get him on in a later week. But Chase was nice enough to come on and just sort of give us like a baseline of where this team is at, you know, uh, 11 games into the season. Uh, this was recorded prior to the Mavericks game. So if you don't get to it until later in the week, know that this was sort of based on the 11 game uh, perspective and and the next couple of games could kind of change some of these things and how we feel about them. It was reported right before recording that Chris Porzingis might miss the Mavericks game with a groin injury. So I'm going to talk to Chase about that and we'll just kind of see what to think or expect or, uh, you know, how serious that kind of injury is. So before we get to our conversation with Chase, just a word from our sponsor, Bet Online. Basketball is back and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all sports wagering info, BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Make sure to use our promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline, where the game starts. And before we're joined uh, by Chase, just a quick plug for, again, our Believe in Wizards night at the Capital City Go-Go game on December the 9th. They'll be playing the Long Island Nets. And realistically, we could see several Wizards. You get to see new Wizards star Jordan Goodwin potentially might be back in the G League by then. We'll see what that looks like. Johnny Davis could still be playing for the Go-Go. Isaiah Todd. Who knows? So I think there's a lot of good options. Even if those guys don't play, you've got Quentin Jackson that's super athletic and dynamic and exciting. Um, McCurr Maker has been really fun to watch so far too. So there's just like fun basketball played at the G <laughs> played at the G League level. And I think the Go-Go in particular are really well coached. They're going to play hard. They're going to play a lot of defense. So if you actually enjoy watching defense, this is your team to go to. Tickets are $10. Please use our special link so that we get credit for bringing those people in and putting butts in the seats. And hopefully they'll invite us back after the show. Uh, we will be doing a live podcast from there. So you'll get an opportunity to um, ask some questions, do it in real time. We'll have some guests on, do some giveaways, that sort of thing. Uh, tickets, like I said, are $10 for anywhere in the 100 section is general admission. I'll try to get there early enough to like grab us a little section, uh, for the podcast and hopefully somewhere good. And we can all kind of fill in from there. And, uh, you can also buy $40 tickets. They have unlimited beer and wine throughout and same general seating principles. So you can sit whatever you want anywhere in the 100s. They're great seats. It's an intimate arena. It's really nice. Uh, it's where the Mystics play. If you've ever seen a Mystics game, it's easy to get to. Parking is super convenient, and they take you from a little shuttle from your parking lot to your to the front steps of the arena. You don't have to do much. You don't have to move at all. It's great. 
uh, food and drink is cheaper as well. If you don't go the $40 route for unlimited alcoholic beverages there. So just easy way to take the family, see some good basketball, see the future NBA players, you know, future NBA stars of tomorrow, I think is sort of one of the G league marketing lines. Pascal Siakam might genuinely be first team all NBA this year and spend a good amount of time in the G league. The golden state warriors put three lottery picks in the G league last year. So like there's, there's good talent at this level. And I think that'll be a particularly good game against the nets. Might see Cam Thomas, some who's been lighting it up. He's kind of gone back and forth a little bit so far in his early career with the G League. So, again, going to be really interesting. Uh, with that out of the way, let's get to my conversation with Chase Hughes of NBC Sports Washington. Okay, I'm pleased to be joined by Chase Hughes of NBC Sports Washington. Chase, how are you doing? Doing good, man. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on. This was sort of good timing, I think. We had talked about this in the preseason, but it's always good to kind of do a check-in, you know, an eighth of the way through the season, I guess, and, and see where the team's uh, at and how they're doing. Yeah, I guess it is an eighth of the way through the season. Um, yeah, it kind of sneaks up on you. You get in the routine and then the games just pass by pretty quickly. It doesn't really feel like that already, but uh, I was a little surprised to see that they'd played 11 games. It just kind of hasn't felt like that much from a, from a fan perspective. Uh, this season, we've been asking every guest of the show uh, that's come on this season one question to start us out here. Uh, just lighten the mood here a little bit. Which current or former NBA player does your own basketball game most resemble? And you get bonus points if you mention a wizard for that. <laughs> does it most resemble? Well, I feel like I'm a pretty decent shooter. I, I, okay. I My favorite way to exercise is to go out and just shoot on like the, the rim near my house. And mm -hmm. Anyone who shoots on the same rim all the time, you you get accustomed to the the distance and sure. with the same ball. Um, but I can I can't move very well anymore. I mean, I'm I'm 35. I'm not like that old, but I've I've never been like the quickest guy. So I'll uh, I'll go with Darius Sangaila. Although well, I might have a little bit more range than him, but remember he was really good from like 15 to 18 feet out. Uh, he was pretty decent for the Wizards for a little while. So mobility wise, I'll, I'll, I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll say some guy, even though he was probably about a foot taller than me. I like it. I did not go with a wizard. I went with Antoine Walker, sort of out of shape past his prime Antoine Walker, <laughs> just pretty much bomb threes and, and go three point line to three point line. So I, I respect your answer. He was one of my favorite players growing up. Antoine yeah, same, Walker. same, a lot of fun. Uh, I like some too. I mean, he was uh, kind of underrated uh, during his wizard tenure, I thought. Yeah, I had a brief interaction with Darius Sangaila because he was uh, an assistant. I don't know if he's still an assistant for the Spurs, but he was. Mm -hmm. And I was in their locker room. I was trying to talk to Rudy Gay because he had come back from an Achilles injury and John Wall was still on the Wizards. And so I ended up interviewing him about that. But I saw Sangaila walk by and I just said, Darius Sangaila. And he was like, yep, and just kept walking. And that was it. <laughs> Those are the best interactions. Like just the hello, I'm, I am acknowledging that I recognize you and we just keep it moving. <laughs> he probably liked that. Uh, all right, let's, um, let's start out here a little bit with the Porzingis news. I guess it was just sort of reported out like right before recording here that he's questionable for the Mavericks game. So maybe by the time some people listen to this, uh, he may have sat out, he may not, but what's your sense on, on this groin strain? Is it something to be worried about? Any idea kind of when it happened? Maybe this is something he's been dealing with for a while. Just, I guess, fill us in on, on anything you know about the, the groin, I guess. Well, it's news to me. I mean, we talked to him yesterday at practice and the only thing that was unusual is he 
kind of requested a chair to sit down when he talked to us. Mm -hmm. But then he said that he used to do that all the time when he was in New York. He prefers talking to the media when he's sitting down. So um, I didn't think anything of it. Uh, And he's still at eye level when he's sitting down. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. And he wasn't walking with a limp or anything like that. Um, So I I don't think it um, at this point from what we could tell just by hearing the news and the fact that he's questionable and not out, you know, Mm -hmm. outright, uh, maybe it's not that serious, but um, I think it's a, a reminder that so far he's been pretty durable, right? I mean, they've played 11 games and he's played in all of them. Um, when that injury came out, it kind of reminded me that they've gotten what they were hoping for, at least to this point, because obviously durability has long been a concern with him. He's talked a lot about it. So uh, groin injuries can be pretty tricky. I mean, any um, injury like that, you know, a hamstring, a groin, hamstring, DeLon Wright, of course, uh, is just not ideal in basketball. But I guess we'll have to see what uh, Wes Unsell Jr. says about it tonight. Yeah, hopefully not a big thing. Like you said, he's he's been great and, and durable. And obviously with Beal out for this game, too, it, it gets a lot tougher all of a sudden if you don't have Porzingis as well. And if it lingers for a couple games, uh, that, that gets real dicey for this team quick, I think. So they're five and six. They're currently eighth in the East. Just what do you make of them so far? Like where, where are we with this team? What should fans think of this team? 11 games into the season. I think they're right where most of us would probably have predicted where they would be like uh, the way they've gotten here. Maybe there's been some surprises, Um, but being the eighth seed in the East and hovering around 500 is pretty much exactly what I would have told you going into the season. Uh, And especially when you consider how their schedule was laid out, where they had those five winnable games at the beginning of the year that they almost took it full advantage of uh, before they lost to the Pacers in their fifth game. And then after that, we could tell going in, it was going to be really difficult. And obviously some context around those games changed, like Mm -hmm. um, Joel Embiid not being available for both Sixers games. And of course, the Nets had Durant, but they didn't have Kyrie Irving and, and Ben Simmons. But Overall, I think if you looked at the first five games and then the next five games, um, 500 seemed about right. I think when you look a little bit further into the details and consider what has been surprising, I'd probably say how much their offense has underachieved so far. Um, I don't think that they were going to come in and be the uh, Kevin Durant and Steph Curry Warriors, but I feel like they have a pretty decently high offensive ceiling when you consider Beal, Porzingis, and Kuzma at the top. And some of the depth pieces they have behind them, like um, Will Barton and Rui Hachimura, those are two pretty good bench scorers. Barton, I think, has a lot of upside still to tap into because he's he has not been the scorer that he's been for the majority of his career as he adjusts to a new role on the bench. Mm-hmm. So I think overall, just big picture, um, looking at the standings, it sounds about right, but Certainly, there's some a lot of room for for growth because uh, if you look at their offense and their defense, they haven't rated very well on either end of the floor. Um, the w- the one thing I would say that's most concerning is not the the defense that we've seen so far or the offense as a whole. It's the three point shooting continuing to be a problem. I mean, being the worst three point shooting team in the league last year and then so far this year, while I could point to the fact that literally every player. And their starting lineup and their entire rotation is shooting worse than they have for their career averages. Um, the sample size is growing larger. And, and obviously, it's not a problem that you would choose to have in this day and age. 
Yeah, that's what's surprising too. And and I honestly don't know what the right answer here is. Like they're they're last in the league and well, I guess first in the league in terms of percentage of their shots that come from two point range. So they're they're taking more twos relative to the total shots than anyone else. I want to say they're at 59% and Boston is first in the league at only 43%. So like there's a pretty big delta there in in their shot diet. But the answer can't just be take more threes, especially if they can't seem to make them. So I'm honestly not really sure what else they're supposed to do. You see some fans say shoot more threes. You say some some fans say never shoot threes because they can't make them. What do you think's the the answer here or the recipe for better offensive success, I guess? Yeah, we've seen their attempts uh, really fluctuate because uh, they had a season high in attempts two games ago, 41 against the Grizzlies. And then they had a season low the next game, only 19. Um, And no matter what they're trying, the threes just aren't falling. So um, at some point, you know, maybe you have to point to just the the personnel that they have. I mean, uh, they've got some guys who are kind of known for shooting threes. Uh, Bradley Beal, uh, of course, historically, um, earlier in his career, at least, was a really good three-point shooter. And then Kuzma and Porzingis, you kind of re- you you associate them with shooting threes because they shoot quite a few of them for their position. But none of those three guys are going to shoot 40% from three, at least recent sample sizes and, and stats wouldn't suggest that. Bradley Beal is many years removed at this point from being one of the best three-point shooters in the league. So... If you have those three guys accounting for a lot of the attempts and last year, all three of them shot below league average in terms of percentage, and that's going to factor in. Um, and then, you know, they've, I thought they had a, a, a pretty good off season overall, you know, plugging some of their holes, but they've drafted a lot of guys that weren't shooters coming out of school. Obviously Kispert was, but, and I think Kispert is going to make an impact in that regard and maybe he's the the catalyst that lifts them from 30th in the league to something higher Sixth. than that but yeah. yeah right but i also looked in the off season uh at you know some of the best three point shooters around the league even the guys who spent 4 years in college and it takes them longer to reach their prime than i than i expected going into that research like guys like joe harris and duncan robinson um Not like year you know, 4 i mean like, yeah, well, I mean, generally it's like, you know, mid to late 20s, just like any other positions. Mm-hmm. Some of these guys become elite shooters, but it takes them time. Um, you know, it's it, you would think it'd be like a very easily translatable skill for a guy who was so good for so long in college to just mm-hmm. step right on the floor. And it, yeah, it's a little bit further out, but if you get him open, he'll make the threes. But um, it's just not that simple. So it it, it might be a little bit unrealistic to expect that Corey Kispert all of a sudden this year is going to be an elite three-point shooter. It, it might take him some time. Um, so, and one guy's just not going to fix it all, but Bradley Beal also, you know, I don't know how much his previous success as a three-point shooter has factored into their thoughts, you know, in terms of constructing the roster. But, you know, when you have a shooting guard who takes a lot of shots, who's shooting in the low thirties from three, then, you know, you kind of need to compensate for that elsewhere in the lineup and in a, in a great way. Um, so we'll see. I don't know. I, I, I'm a victim of that too. Uh, that thinking where it's like, well, he was such a good three point shooter at some point, he's going to go back to being that guy, but it just, it hasn't been the case for what going on three, four seasons now. I think maybe the biggest difference there is the types of shots he's getting from three, two and, and who's getting him those looks obviously had wall sort of one of the great, like open three point 
creators of, of the last decade. And I just don't think Monte Morris is, is that player. So I think that's a good segue here. You know, one of the things I think people would be interested to get your perspective on are just where's the team at with Monte as the starter and just sort of the point guard rotation overall. Like this, the Lon Wright loss has been like really big for them. And and obviously Jordan Goodwin has filled the, the holes there a little bit the last couple of games, but I, I don't think this is probably as much as they expected from Monte Morris when they made that trade. Yeah, I mean, obviously it was a, a complete void at point guard that they had to fill this offseason. They essentially lost what all all they had openings one Everybody. through three at point yeah. guard. Yeah. So I thought they did a nice job filling the starting role with Monte Morris, uh, considering the options that they had. And I, I really liked the Jalon Wright signing. I thought it was their best offseason move. And Same. um we've seen how his absence has affected them, as you mentioned. And they didn't really have a traditional third point guard, at least a veteran behind them. So it was kind of like, uh, you know, they they gambled a little bit, I think, going into the year. And then, of course, what can go wrong will go wrong. And immediately it was like, what, game four or game five that DeLon Wright goes down for an extended period of time. So I think a lot is being put on Monte Morris right now. But I think over time he's going to be just fine. Obviously, the defense, um, you know, you could you probably hope for more from him over yeah. time. Um, he's a pretty good uh table setter and pretty good three-point shooter he's shooting below his career norms from three so i think we need to see it play out over time and one thing that's really stood out to me just looking at his career as a whole is that the trajectory has been consistently upward right Mm -hmm. i mean he came into the league as a second round pick and had to you know go from the g league to i think he had a two-way contract to being the third point guard on the nuggets to the second point guard to being a starter and then he's in new surroundings for the first time. And that requires an adjustment oftentimes, even though he's got Wes Unsell Jr. But this is a level up for him in the sense that he's got more stability as being the starting point guard. So the fact that every year he's let, he's been able to uh, take to a new role and then, you know, beg for more, uh, I think you, you got to probably give it some time and expect that he'll continue to do the same. I don't know if it's going to end up being like a Fred Van Vliet situation where there's a ton of upside where he ends up becoming an all-star someday. But I think there's probably more upside left in Monte Morris's game than people give him credit for. Honestly, just like a slow, like a small uptick in three-point percentage and a little bit better on the defensive end, I think would go a long way for for this team overall, at least until you get DeLon right back. Uh, just sticking with sort of their, I don't know, struggles, I guess. They're like 24th in offensive rating, uh, 21st in defense, uh, third in defensive rebounding percentage, which was really surprising to me because I, I actually thought they lost a couple of these games because they couldn't clean up the defensive glass. Eighth in turnover percentage, which I think is mostly kudos to Monte for being pretty good with the ball. True, uh, true shooting percentage, 24th, and like we said, 28th in, in three-point percentage. What's the biggest thing this team needs to address? Like, I mean, obviously, you know, your bottom five and most of those things we I just read off there. But like, if if you were Tommy Shepard, what are you trying to do to this roster to to fix some stuff? If you're Wes Unseld, what are you trying to clean up with with this group? Is it just like guys get comfortable and and see how it plays out? Like, I, I guess team the fans are kind of wondering like what this team can do to improve on, on where they're at. And I curious any take you have there. I think three-point shooting is their biggest problem. Like it's been defense and three-point shooting for probably a few years, certainly last year, but 
Yeah, defense is obviously very important. If you want to build a contender, you got to be able to defend and get stops. And the best defenses tend to go on deep playoff runs. But the three-point shooting, I just see it as such a prohibitive problem for them. You know, if you're making five threes in a game or eight threes in a game and your opponent is making double digits, the margin for error is just so small. And, you know, you can't erase deficits like other teams can. Um, you, You can't keep up in shootouts. Um, it's just a a major problem. And I I looked at some numbers from last year where, um, you know, basically what were teams win percentages when they made a certain number of threes. And when you make last year, at least when you made 15 threes, you played at the pace of a 55 win team and the teams that made 20 threes in a game, um, which happened 88 times, which is ridiculous because it wasn't that long ago that 23 would be like a historic number. Yeah. Um, those teams won like 91% of their games. Um, okay. And it's like it was basically the win percentage of the 73 win Warriors. So like if you make 15 plus threes, um, you're very likely to win the game. And the Wizards so far this season are the only team in the league that has not made 13 threes in a game. So it's it's just you're you're fighting an uphill battle, I think, every single night when you can't go on one of those runs where you make three threes in a row or five threes in a quarter when your opponent pretty much every night is capable of doing that. Right. Um, I think particularly in this day and age, you know, sometimes offense is your best defense, but the wizards can't really play that game. So they have to keep the score tight and they have to, you know, play structured and not turn the ball over just because they can't over, they can't, wash over some of their mistakes just by getting hot from three. Um, so I, I think it's, it, it has a lot of domino effects that I think are underrated. Um, one thing I wonder if they'll try to do to get better at shooting threes, because th- their personnel is, is what it is, is um, maybe turn up the pace a little bit more. You know, last year, I'd like to see yeah. Sell Jr. Talked a lot about his philosophy on pace. And I think it made a lot of sense, but once they recognized that three point shooting was a major problem, they were like, okay, we need to create more transition threes. You, you know, going back to what you said about John Wall, they don't have someone on their roster, but if you get out and run, you're you're going to have a better opportunity of creating threes in open space. So maybe they'll do that. I mean, last year it was aided by acquiring uh, Ish Smith at the trade deadline. They don't really have anyone on their roster who all of a sudden is going to, you know, the up-tempo t- guy. Yeah, yeah the up-tempo guy. But um, if they do want to add some three-point shooting, Maybe Jordan Shackle, their other uh, two-way player, gets gets a look. But yeah, it's sometime, at some point, you know, going back to the personnel thing, you know, you draft Johnny Davis, who wasn't a three-point shooter. Like a, a lot of the moves you made, the help's not really going to come from those areas. So it might be a matter of style of play in, in the in the short term. I've been sort of a, a long uh, supporter of Jordan Goodwin in his uh, quest to the NBA here and I do think he's a better shooter than he's shown thus far in sort of mostly his G League career, but he's also not the guy you want to rely on to come in and take five or six threes in a game and and expect him to shoot 40%. I don't think so. I don't know if that uh, addition to the rotation helps them a ton from from that perspective either. I know you posted a video of him and Johnny Davis both shooting in practice the other day. They, They both looked pretty good. I mean, am I wrong there? Can can Goodwin maybe help a little bit um, from that end too? I think so. I mean, he just went seven for seven in a game against the sure. Hornets. Um, he said his offense approach is like um, not necessarily to look for his own shot. He kind of takes what the game gives him because 
Um, you know, he's more of a defense and rebounding guy. If you go back to his college days in St. Louis, he shot a pretty low percentage from the field and from three. Uh, if you just looked at his numbers, you would not expect it was a six, three guard. <laughs> you know, it was like 15 points, 10 rebounds, you know, two plus steals, but like 29% from three and like 42% from the field. Like, I guess if it was a big man, they'd probably shoot higher from the field, but he kind of had big man numbers, which yeah. is, I've always been fascinated by players like that. Uh, like I remember, I forget his name, um, but a few years ago, George Mason had a guy who I think led the nation in rebounds and he was like six, four and he was averaging like 12 rebounds a game. <laughs> you see a guy so, like Terry Taylor for Indiana, you know, he's yeah. like a six, four center, that kind of thing. Right. Jamario Jones. I really liked yeah. him in the brief time he was with the wizards because of that. He was a big time rebounder. Um, so that's kind of what Jordan Goodwin's game is. Although the seven for seven and, and the four for seven shooting night the, the night before against the Grizzlies, those are hard to ignore. I mean, he shot really well since he's been up He's three for four against the Celtics. Um, and I think he does a really nice job better than I expected of setting others up, you know, uh, with pocket passes and just um, high percentage shots. So I, I think he can help the uh, him and Morris. That can sometimes be an underrated element is just how much a point guard who can set others up for high percentage looks can help your three-point shooting. Yeah. Um, but certainly the Wizards need to do a whole lot more of that. Yeah, I mean, that that makes a ton of sense, right? I mean, if, if you're just getting better looks and somebody's getting you the ball a little quicker, a little more comfortably in your shooting pocket, those sort of things, uh, hopefully it, it has some effect. Just mentioning... Goodwin and how good he's looked uh, coming from the G League and now another Wizards player sort of being moved down to the G League recently. I think everybody's sort of talking about uh, Johnny Davis and how he's looked in those two games. I don't know if you've intently watched both or whatever, but I'm curious what your take is on on Davis and, and how he's performed uh, in his two games for the Go-Go so far. Well, it's been a mixed bag. Obviously, the first game shot, I think, three for 13. That was not good. The second game, uh, six for seven from mm. the field, three for three from deep, uh, but also six turnovers. But I thought that was just purely looking at the box score. If if you're just looking at the box score, that was a bit of a breakthrough in the sense that that was his best shooting game, I believe, since he's turned pro, right? For and sure. he did not 100%. do that in the summer league. He did not do that in the preseason to that degree. So there's got to be a little bit of confidence drawn from that. And Wes Unsell Jr. said that, you know, he talked to him after that second G League game and uh, Johnny told him that he feels like he's starting to develop a rhythm and the game is starting to slow down a little bit. Um, you know, that could just be uh, glass half full uh, commentary, but um, I think all those of us who've watched him in the small sample size that he's provided uh, can see that the game needs to slow down for him, right? I mean, That's I think even going from uh, going to the summer league, it was clearly a huge difference in terms of the the speed and the length and the quickness of defenses compared to the big 10 and compared to playing at Wisconsin where mm -hmm. things were really slowed down and a lot of things ran through him. You could tell he was trying to get to his spots and he just couldn't get there because the guy guarding him was so much more athletic than he was used to. Um, now, what I what stood out to me in both games in a good way was his defense. Yeah, um, I've really tried to remind Wizards fans, you know, I think that was a big reason why I was drafted, even though he was a 20 point scorer last year at Wisconsin. That to me is where I see some of the athletic traits where I'm like, oh, OK, that's why this guy was picked 10th overall, because mm -hmm. he's pretty strong and he's pretty quick, uh, like when he turns his hips and, and tries to run with a ball handler or fights through 
or around a screen, it, it does look a little bit different than most of the guards on the Wizards roster. Now, offensively, I agree. You know, it, you're not really seeing that type of quick twitch element where you're like, oh, okay, this guy's got a really high ceiling, and that's why he was the 10th overall pick. But I think is if you watched him in college, you know, you you would definitely remember that that wasn't really his game. Um, you know, he's more of the type where, you know, when when he's in control of the pace uh, with the ball in his hands, you know, he's really good at getting his defender. Or he was really good at getting defenders off balance and really craft, crafty, creating his own shot in the mid range. Um, but the offense, even though he scored 20 points a game last year and was the Big Ten player of the year, I, I think it's going to take some time. I think he's much quicker, much closer to being an impact player defensively than he is offensively. And I think we've seen that in the G League so far. I think body control is probably like the thing I'm most impressed with uh, fr- from him, like defensively, especially he's been really good about, like you said, getting, getting up to the guy he's guarding, but not fouling, you know, not getting blown by. Like he's, he's been really good about just kind of staying attached to someone w- without committing a foul. And I think that's kind of rare skill for, for a rookie, especially somebody with limited minutes so far. And then offensively, you hope that translates more. And it looked like it did in game two, he got to the rim a little bit more. He finished a little better. Looked like he already made subtle adjustments to some of the length he was shooting over. I know in the first game, one of his shots got like spiked into like the 10th row. It might have been a (laughs) goaltend, but you know, it's still like that. That's a learning process for everybody, whether you're playing a G League guy or an NBA guy. Uh, Last two real quick questions here, Jason. We we can go rapid fire on these. Any insight into Beal? Um, Like, is he, do we know if he's coming back anytime soon, feeling better as the team kind of made you all aware of, of his status and, and what does he need to be able to get back on the court? Well, he's got to have two negative tests um, and that has not happened yet. And uh, while Wes Unsell Jr. said that he's feeling better, um, I thought his reaction yesterday was pretty interesting when someone asked if he was going to play in today's game and he kind of chuckled and was like, no, <laughs> so, oh, wow. just dismissed uh, it right away. Huh? Yeah. Dismissed it right away. So I don't know, maybe Saturday or Sunday, but um, yeah, he definitely tested positive this time. It wasn't a false positive and getting sick. I would just point out as the father of a young kid that, uh, you know, those, those kids kind of have a lot of germs and they, yeah. they spread them. <laughs> so I don't know if uh, Brad's kids are, you know, in daycare or around other kids, but he's got three of them now. And uh, I've, you know, been dealing with my daughter coming home from daycare and having something new every week. She, her first week, she had an eye infection and an ear uh, infection. So oh, brutal. That's the <laughs> yeah. worst combo. Uh. Yeah. So they, you know, they're trying to build up their immune system and kids that age, they just, you know, they wipe their nose and then they play with a toy and then another kid plays with the toy and wipes his nose. So it's just the way things go, especially this time of year. So I think that's probably what's going on. I haven't talked to Brad since, you know, this positive test, but I plan on asking him if, if that's what's to blame. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if the answer is yes. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think he's, I don't know, I'd have to, I'd have to go down the roster, but he might be, you know, in a unique situation in that regard where he's got a bunch of toddlers running around. You heard it here, uh, first folks, we want Brad to be a deadbeat dad moving forward and focus on, uh, getting on the court (laughs) for the wizards. Uh, all right. Where are you with the cherry blossom gear, the retro gear? Do you like all this stuff? Uh, and tonight's game is a cherry blossom game night, the first one of those, and the court will be new and all that kind of stuff. But what do you think about them? 
I love how they're uh, bringing new courts. I know uh, Wizards fans have been clamoring for that for a while. Um, and I like the uh, the throwback jerseys to the the blue and bronze era. You know, I watched a lot of games back then uh, growing up around here. And, you know, obviously it was an exciting time. And Gilbert and Karan and Antoine Jameson and Larry Hughes. Shout out to Larry Hughes on Believe in Podcasts. Uh, you know, they made those jerseys cool. Even when they first came out, I don't think anyone was like a huge fan, but they created some indelible memories wearing those colors. So that's been cool to to see Chris Tapp's Porzingis in that jersey. Uh, you know, Bradley Beal's played for this team for a long time, but he never worn that jersey before. It's so I, I've been I, I've found I found all of that pretty fun. I'll have to see the cherry blossom jerseys in person and on TV um, because I, I thought you know at first when they brought the blue and bronze era jerseys back, it's like okay, well those were pretty decent, but. I thought they did a good job uh, with just the vibrancy of the colors. Like I thought they really popped maybe better than they used to fresher. Yeah. They look good. So we'll see how the cherry blossom jerseys look. I I know that was something that wizards fans also have been asking for really ever since they drafted Rui Hachimura. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see how it looks. Um, I don't know if I've ever seen an NBA team essentially wear all pink. (laughs) The heat heat got close a couple years ago, but that's about it. Right, the he got close, and I will say I loved the the vice was it Vice City jerseys, yeah, the Miami same. Vice jerseys. Yeah, those were really cool. So maybe the Wizards uh, can can achieve a, a similar uh, su- level of success with these jerseys as the Heat did. Yeah, fingers crossed. I think it would be uh, no matter what. I think it's a little bit of an upgrade over the gray from last year. wasn't the most creative or inventive in my opinion. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they look in person too. Uh, last thing, Chase, anything you got coming up, uh, any stories or articles you're working on or anything that you can tease for listeners here? Uh, I would just say watch the game on Saturday night because I'll be back uh, as the sideline reporter filling in go. for Mega McPeak. So like I'm excited about that. Yeah, I did the Nets game last weekend and I my next one is uh, the Jazz who were surprisingly good. So we'll see how that three goes. Three Jazz, baby. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Yeah, it's funny. The way uh, sideline reporting goes is... Uh, you know, you, you have a lot to do, but you have a lot more to do if they're winning. Like if they're winning at halftime, you interview a player on the court and it's piped through the loudspeakers. And then if they win the game, you interview a player after the game. So I was going into that being like, well, the Nets are, you know, struggling and they're going through all this. I'm probably gonna have to do those. And then they suffered the worst loss in off the hook, franchise man. history at oh, home. Don't, so uh, don't remind us. Yeah. So we'll see how things go with the Jazz. Maybe I'll be doing an interview at halftime and after the game. I hope so. It feels like we haven't had much success against the Jazz in the last couple of years. I haven't looked at what the numbers are, but it hasn't felt good uh, in the Rudy Gobert era. So we'll see what it's like without Rudy uh, on the roster there. Right, right. Uh, Chase, thank you for doing this. Appreciate the time. As always, good luck with the sideline reporting. We will uh, be tuned in and, and watching that intently. And uh, I guess we'll uh, we'll see you at the arena tonight. Absolutely. Thanks, man. All right, and that was my combo with Chase Hughes of NBC Sports Washington. Hope you all enjoyed that. Chase is the best. Uh, he's every bit as nice in person as he seems uh, on podcasts, on TV, all that stuff. So glad he'll uh, get a little more FaceTime on Saturday's broadcast. Hopefully, like he said, he'll, he'll be doing some uh, some interviewing uh, after the first half and the end of the game because they're winning, which would be nice to see. A couple other things just before we, we break here. Just want to mention uh, Jordan Goodwin's game again the other night against the Hornets. 17 points, his career high, five assists, four rebounds, two blocks, seven to seven from the field, 21 minutes played. I mean, just just really good stuff. I mean, th- that's that makes me like really happy to see from a personal perspective. Like I, 
I don't have the same uh, constraints as other air quotes people in Wizards media. I, mean, I can be a fan first. I'm not a journalist, so I can openly root for certain people. And Jordan Goodwin's been just like really nice to us on the show here. Uh, and and just you know, when when somebody's a good dude, you you want to see him good, you know, do well. And and obviously he's he's thriving so far. Hopefully he can he can keep it up. And Jordan Goodwin became the fifth player in NBA history since the shot clock era began in 1954 to shoot 100% on at least seven field goals with seven or fewer career games played. Uh, it's from the Elias Sports Bureau. I don't know how anybody can come up with that particular statistic. I'm sure there's some computer algorithm that pulls that, but still wild to kind of think about. Uh, so so very interesting. And you know, we'll just we'll see what that looks like. I meant to ask Chase sort of about Goodwin's long-term status. I, I'll follow up with him in the future, but obviously when you're a two-way contract player at the very least you only used to get 45 days with the big ball club that changed a little bit during sort of the pandemic i think it's my understanding that that's back to the 45 days so if delon writes out much longer and they keep playing goodwin as much as they are they're going to churn through those 45 days pretty quickly so we'll see what that means for him i know some people have already tweeted that they hope he'll get sort of a permanent roster spot obviously isn't an open one at the moment. So they'll have to kind of make that choice just given where they are. I would imagine that personnel wise, um, he's played himself uh, in into their rotation longer term at the very least. When Wright comes back, he still looks like somebody that can give them valuable minutes, but you never know the, con- the contract stuff gets complicated. And uh, Vernon Carey has also looked pretty good for the go-go so far. So perhaps they, they would be reluctant to let Carey go to convert Goodwin We'll have to see. We've been doing sort of worst Wizards takes from Wizards Twitter on the show here. This one is not from air quotes, a member of Wizards Twitter specifically, but John Hollinger had what I thought was a terrible take this week. He was basically mocking the fact that, uh, as he put it, undrafted free agent Jordan Goodwin. The Wizards undrafted free agent Jordan Goodwin is playing well and 10th pick Johnny Davis is busy in the G League. I just think that's kind of a Bush League tweet from somebody like that because you're leaving out a lot of context there. When you call him the undrafted free agent, Jordan Goodwin, yes, at one point he was an undrafted free agent, but he also has more NBA experience than Johnny Davis. He has a whole year under his belt, played in the G League all last year and, and was productive and successful and you know got called up at different points. So it's just sort of not apples to apples in my opinion. He's four years older than Davis is. So it's just not really as much as I like Jordan Goodwin. I I just don't think that's like a fair comparison necessarily. So shocker. I just bash Hollinger on the show all the time. I'm sure he's a really nice guy. I don't actually have anything against him personally. I just don't agree with most of his basketball takes. And as apparently I'm now a Johnny Davis full-time supporter defender, I've got to go at people like that. So uh, we'll, we'll see what that looks like. Uh, the other thing, we saw a cryptic tweet from our guy, Steve Buckhans with Zach Leonsis in the background. If you've listened to either of our episodes with Buckhans on the show here, it's, you know, I think, I think he's, was hurt by the way he was let go. I think those are his words, not mine. So I'm not sort of misquoting him here, but they didn't really, uh, treat him with the respect. I think a long tenured professional employee like that deserves a beloved, uh, person amongst the fan base. So we'll see what that means. Hopefully. We'll see him calling some games. I think, uh, you know, Zach Leonsis has been big on the esports side of things. I, hopefully that's not Buckhands being relegated to calling Wizards District Gaming games. Not that I don't love Wizards DG personally, but I'd just like to see more from Buckhands. So maybe that's some studio time, some sideline time. I, who knows what it could be, but 
Uh, hopefully he and Phil Chenier can get back uh, in front of us on, on TV or whatever that looks like a little more frequently, perhaps maybe when they have the reunion episode, <laughs> reunion episode, when they have the reunion game and bring back Gilbert and Antoine, Karan Butler, maybe we can get Buck Ants and Chenier on the call, at least for some portion of the game. I think something like that would be really cool. So we'll just sort of keep that going. As I mentioned in the intro, this was the 150th episode of the show. So I hope you guys are enjoying it as much as I enjoy doing it. I, you know, we, we've, we've talked a lot about uh, just trying to make this show a fan, fan focused, fan centric wizard show and, and give you guys sort of the right balance of here's how fans are feeling, but also real basketball content and, and try to be as objective as we can, but also with some feeling and, uh, you know, some, some passion for the team and the sport as well. So hopefully, uh, kind of meeting that mark so far, obviously I had teased all last season that Larry Hughes would be back this season. That does not seem to be the case. I was sort of recently informed that they, they couldn't work something out for him to be back this season. From what I understand, they are very close to bringing in a new potential guest host here. We'll see how close that is. Those things never kind of move very fast. It would be someone with former, uh, a former wizard or someone with wizards experience as well. So we'll see what that actually means. I'm kind of in the dark on this one. I'd just like to say thank you to Larry for everything. He is a genuinely good dude. Obviously last year he spent most of the time kind of taking care of uh, getting his son recruited. And he's now at St. Louis, which is a fringe top 25 team. So best of luck to them. And I think Larry's just looking forward to you know, now that his son's staying in the area, being able to spend a lot of time with that team and, and you know, kind of follow that closely and, and doing some traveling and stuff with them as well. So totally respect that. And he's kind of said he's welcome to come back or, you know, he's, he's willing to come back and, and talk on the show here anytime we, we need him as a guest host and we wanted to chime in and get his perspective. So I think that'll be cool just to, to check in with him periodically. So if you've been wondering where Larry is, that's where it is. It wasn't sort of my place to talk about somebody else's contractual stuff like that, but uh, you know, it's all good. Uh, we'll do our best to keep making this uh, a good show. I think if you're listening at this point, you, you've, you know, it's been over a year since we've had Larry on as sort of a regular, uh, featured co-host on the show. So hopefully that's not, uh, the one thing you've been hanging around for at this point, obviously, you know, he's got a great perspective, but hopefully we're filling in with enough good guests, like people like Chase and stuff like that, that, uh, it's still interesting for you all and we'll keep it going. But again, 150 episodes in the book, couldn't have done it without you all. I think I would probably do this anyway if no one listened, but it, honestly, it it is a little bit of a boost knowing that there's a reasonable amount of Wizards uh, fandom that that actually tunes in, and uh, it just means a lot to me personally. So I'm not going to cry or anything like that because uh, that'd be that'd be really soft of me, but just know I am appreciative and touched by the support and the reviews and all that good stuff. We've got a string of really nice, positive iTunes reviews, and, and that stuff does go a long way. So. Thank you all for making the show uh, what it's been for 150 episodes, and hopefully the next 150 are better. We have better things to talk about. We've got better draft picks to talk about. We've got better wins on the court to talk about, and maybe even a couple playoff wins or two along the way here. With that, this has been Believe in Wizards. I'm Matt Moderno. Thanks for checking in, and we'll check you next time. And as always, we are presented by betonline.ag. Thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.